or as preachers like to say today, turn in your Bible or your electronic device. Yeah, we allow that, I guess, in here. I have a real Bible today that I'll be reading from. It's the book of Jude. Uh, Jude's easier to find than Philemon just because it's the next to the last book. And um, if you can find the last one, you can find Jude. So this epistle, this short epistle, uh, is much different. Same number of verses as the book of Philemon, but it's a bit different theme. Uh, But very, very needful in our day to hear. I'm just going to read the first four verses today, and I would encourage you to read the whole book and uh, and become familiar with it uh, as we go through it. But <clears throat> let us hear the word of the Lord. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, some translations say beloved or loved by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus ends the reading of the the inspired, the inerrant, and the word of the living God. Let us pray. Lord, would you help us to understand the word? Uh, Lord, may we be convicted by it, encouraged. Uh, Lord, may we be built up in our faith, and may we be infused with courage by the Holy Spirit to live out uh, what these words are teaching us and exhorting us to do today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Jude was written to warn Believers about false teachers who had entered into uh, the church secretly and to urge them to contend, contend for the faith in the face of opposition, in the face of false teaching. And, you know, in the Bible, Christians uh, are compared to sheep uh, and sheep need a shepherd and, and they need a shepherd for two reasons, I'm sure more, but. Two main reasons are they need to be fed. And, of course, the food is the word of God. You need to be fed the word. But sheep also need to be protected from predators. And the predators today are the false teachers, and they abound. Uh, they abounded in Jude's day, and they abound in our day. <clears throat> and so he opens up this letter telling Christians, the, the believers, that his original purpose in writing was to give them further teaching and reflection about salvation, the truths of salvation. But he had to put those thoughts on hold. And instead he wrote words of warning because he saw the great need of the moment was to protect the flock. 
In verse 3, he says, I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Jude is the author of this epistle, and he identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Uh, So Jude was the brother of James, who we believe to have been the the author of the epistle of James. And they were both half-brothers of Jesus. And it's interesting, in both of these epistles, they do not, I believe out of modesty, they do not mention that fact. Uh, uh, Jude's, uh, you know, claims to be a servant. uh, And he's the brother of James. James is more well-known than Jude. And so Jude is is very modest in identifying himself. But... In other words, Jude is focused on the spiritual relationship that he had with Jesus, not the, the physical one. And other than what we read in this letter, we don't really know anything much about Jude um, uh, outside of this letter. So uh, this short letter is, is densely packed with, with weighty truth and with uh, weighty exhortations, strong statements. And... He writes to those, he says, who were called, and this is the New King James, called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. You find that in this letter, Jude is fond of triads, groups of three, and uh, here is one, uh, called, sanctified, and preserved. Again, older manuscripts have called, loved, or beloved, uh, and, and in addition to I mean, not in addition, but instead of sanctified, it's, it's love. So most translations, the ESV has it that way, uh, loved by God the Father. Uh, but the, this theme, and, and finally, preserved by Jesus Christ. So that theme of preservation is, is, a, is one that we find uh, throughout the book of Jude. And here's the thing, okay, uh, believers, uh, true believers have been called by God. They have been loved by God from eternity, and they are preserved in Christ, their preservation is something that's guaranteed. Uh, it's guaranteed to us. It's it's a solid foundation. Your salvation is 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 in God. And salvation. The Bible says salvation's of the Lord. And though it's you who believe unto salvation, uh, your salvation is not dependent on you. It's dependent on the sovereign God who's chosen you, who's called you, who's loved you, and who preserves you. So, if you've been chosen and called, if you've come to know Christ, uh, you cannot fully or finally fall away from the Lord. You may suffer temporary setbacks, uh, temporary falls. We might call it backsliding, but this is what it is. We do sin. And yet, with confidence, as verse 24 of Jude tells us, we know that God is able to, to keep us from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. So when, when Jude urges us in this passage today to contend for the faith, uh, we need to know, uh, we need to have this confidence, you see, this assurance that we're standing on the solid rock of our salvation, which is of the Lord. We're secure in Christ. Satan cannot separate us from Christ. Satan cannot... Take our soul back. He used to have it. 
before we were converted, but he can have it no more. He's a defeated foe, and yet he will continue his efforts to destroy, to hinder the work of the church and the expansion of God's kingdom. In John 17, uh, 12, however, Jesus prays. He says, while I was with them, with the disciples, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. So Christ continues to keep us. He continues to preserve us. And so since that's true, then we can engage in this contending for the faith, not worrying about what may happen to us because we're safe and secure from all alarm in Christ. In verse 2, we find another triad. He offers as a prayer or wish for his readers, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So he, Jude wants these three qualities uh, t- to be theirs in abundance. And, and, you know, each and every day we need the mercy of God. Thankfully, the book of Lamentations says... God's mercies are new every morning. We need his mercy every day because we sin each and every day. Uh, And so we can be thankful that God is a God of mercy. And next is the desire for peace. And when we take vows, membership vows, leadership vows for this church, we promise to uphold uh, the peace, purity, and prosperity of the church. And so Jude was writing to a church that was uh, being disturbed. The peace of this church was being disturbed by error by immorality and 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 so the devil is always at work uh, to disturb the peace of the church of christ and it is only by looking to jesus that we continue to have this peace because jesus said in the world you have tribulation but in me you have peace so as we look to christ uh, we'll continue to experience peace and last he prays that Love would be multiplied. Love would be multiplied. That we would love God, that we would love our neighbor, love one another. And wherever love prevails in the church, that that peace will also be maintained. But now we come to that main exhortation in the passage found in verse 3. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And though he wanted to write about the glories of our great salvation... He saw this pressing need. The need was for the church to engage in warfare, to to realize uh, that they were in a battle and that they needed to contend, they needed to struggle, they needed to fight. And that word contend means to struggle with difficulties and dangers, to, to, to have a strenuous zeal, to strive. Uh, it means to fight as so as to hold the ground that the enemy is attempting to take. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that in the church and certainly in our culture today, the enemy has taken a lot of ground. That means, at least in the, as far as the church goes, that means that the church has given way, has given ground to the evil one. But we're called to contend and hold that ground, that ground of truth. In the word of God, in the book of Philippians, Paul urges the Philippians to stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And Paul wrote this to Timothy. He says, wage the good warfare, fight the good fight of faith. And then he says at the nearing the end of his life, he says, I have fought 
the good fight of faith. So all Christians are soldiers. They're warriors. They're fighters. None are exempted from service. And like it or not, you and I must fight. We must contend. In Ephesians 6, we're called to put on the armor of God. If we're going to fight, we need to fight with God's resources and do battle. We do battle with the forces of darkness. So our, our warfare is spiritual in nature. Uh, we often think of our warfare in, in the wrong ways, but it is a spiritual battle with the flesh, with the world, with the devil. And if we aren't willing to fight, if we don't want to fight, we've already lost the battle before it's begun. Our, the men of our church are studying J.C. Ryle's book, Holiness, and this month, next week, we, we are going to go over that chapter titled, The Fight. And, and Ryle says this, he says, true Christianity is a fight. The Christian is not meant to live a life of ease, indolence, and security. He must fight. And there's no neutrality, you see, in this war. Uh, and we need to remember at all times what side we're on. The side of Christ. We're soldiers of Christ. We need to be willing to suffer, to fight even to die for his cause, as many have done in the past, as many are doing today. Many are suffering, even as I speak, for the gospel. And Jude says we must contend for something, and that something is the faith. The faith. It's the body of Christian beliefs that come out of divine revelation, the divine teaching of the apostles and, and it's found in Scripture. And he's not referring to our subjective faith, my faith in the Lord, but the faith. Uh, the, the doctrines of the Bible, the objective truths of our faith. The devil has done a good job, of course, in getting Christians today to believe certain uh, cliches, such as, well, doctrine divides. Or doctrine doesn't really matter. I remember... A Christian who I considered a brother in Christ one time several years ago, he asked me how it was going. He knew I was a pastor, and he says, "Well, how, you know, how's it going?" He says, "You know, how's your preaching, whatever." He says, and he said, "You don't want to preach that, that dry, dusty stuff called doctrine, you know." Um, and, and he's just kind of putting it down. But you know, Martin Lloyd Jones said one time that, that that preaching is doctrine set on fire. Okay, doctrine doesn't have to be dry; it shouldn't be dry. It is, is about God, the things of God. And we should be on fire uh, for the truth, for the faith. And so a lot of Christians today, uh, the, the emphasis uh, is on experience, is on emotions, right? The emphasis is not so much on preaching and teaching uh, the word, but on the experience. And so... I remember, again, some a few years back now, and someone was referring to the service they went to in some large church, and they talked about, oh, it was a really good show today, you know, and uh, that said a lot right there, and, and we're not here to entertain. Uh, this is not a show. This is a worship service, and the hearing of the Word of God is worship, how you listen to God and His Word um, you know, if God were here speaking, if Jesus were here speaking, would you be would you pay attention to what he had to say? Well, he is speaking through the preaching of the word as it's done faithfully. Well, all our experience must, of course, be judged by the doctrine of Scripture. Experience is fine, 
but it, it doesn't lead the train. Uh, it, it is the caboose, if you will. But the faith, says Jude, is something which was once for all delivered to the saints. And it's interesting because uh, the scriptures had not been fully written. Uh, you know, Jude had just written his letter, and, and there were perhaps others that were would yet, yet to be um, written. So, uh, but the, the basic truths of the Christian faith had been revealed. And this body of truth was being had been deposited, and, and and so our Christian faith was settled even in, in the early church. Now we our understanding of it develops, but but that faith as being laid down, uh, it was delivered once and for all to the saints to the church. And so this faith, uh, nothing is to be added to it. Nothing is to be taken away. It's not to be altered. It's not to be revised. It's not to be edited. Uh, it is to be accepted, it is to be held, it is to be believed, it is to be obeyed, it is to be contended for. And so we don't turn to the right, we don't turn to the left, we, we stay on this narrow path of God's truth as revealed through his word. And so this is our safety in staying firmly rooted in the, in the faith. 2,000 years later, it's the same, it hasn't changed. Uh, again, people have people have changed, and they no longer believe it. But but that faith uh, has stood firm for hundreds of years. But even though this was delivered once and for all to the church, we know that lots of sects, cults, people have uh, claimed to have a new, additional word of revelation. That completes what God has given us. But this once and for all delivered to the saints. That's like Jesus, you know, that he died once and for all. There's no more sacrifice for sin. And there's no more scripture uh, revealed word from God. uh, Because it's been once and for all delivered to us. Um, But we think about Muhammad. uh, A couple hundred, several hundred years after Christ. He gives us the Quran and says, now this is God's. Supreme revelation. No, it's not. We already had the faith once and for all delivered. Uh, Joseph Smith added the Book of Mormon. Said this will. Uh, this is the new revelation of God. No, it, it's not of God. Christian Science said Mary Baker Eddy gives us science and health and the key to the Scriptures. But it's only a key to error. But God gave us His Word. God gave us the faith. Uh, and and so the revelation. The content of our faith is finished, it's settled. Again, our understanding can, can be sharpened. But uh, the church is built on this. The church, the Ephesians says, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That is what God revealed through them in his word. And, and so anyone who comes along and, and claims to have a new word for God, from God, additional revelation that, that is added to what God has written in scripture, uh, you know at that point not to listen to what they have to say. Because anything that's added to the word of God, uh, to the faith, is actually taking away from it. You can't improve upon the full and final deliverance of a body of truth. Uh, it can't be changed. It has to only be defended and contended for. And I think just an, a, a perfect example of this, but, but whatever, usually whatever is added... Right becomes prominent. The Book of Mormon uh, is more prominent than the Bible in Mormonism. Uh, 
and and so on. Yeah, and and Roman Catholicism, uh, the 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 church traditions and teachings that have been added uh, to the Bible take over and become more important than Scripture itself. You know, and and so. Uh, we can thank the Lord for the Protestant reformers, the men who stood firm and contended for the faith in a day in which the church, the whole visible church almost, uh, had had given way uh, to false teaching. And uh, if they had not contended for the faith, you and I might be lighting incense and saying prayers to Mary and, and dead saints today. Um, we can be thankful for these reformers. Uh, J.C. Ryle, again, in that chapter on the fight, urges us to study the lives of these reformers. And he mentions uh, a list of men, Wycliffe, Huss, uh, Luther, Ridley, Latimer, and Hooper. These were uh, Englishmen. And, and he writes, he says, Let us mark how these gallant soldiers of Christ stood firm against a host of adversaries and were ready to die for their principles. What battles they fought, what controversies they maintained, what persecution they endured, what tenacity of purpose they exhibited against a world in arms. I want to remind you that your pastor and your elders uh, are shepherds, called to be shepherds of this flock. And, and as such, one of our jobs is Protection is to be defenders of the faith. And we promise in our ordination vows to uphold the Bible, quote, to which nothing is to be added and from which nothing is to be taken at any time or upon any pretext. So if you see us, first of all, adding to or taking from the word, please point that out <laughs> to us. Please correct us. But there are times when your pastor and elders may need to correct you. Something you have believed, something you have read, something you have heard. And remember, if we do so, uh, we're not trying to be, um, you know, holier than thou or, or, or anything. It's because we care about your faith. We know that an error uh, held to and, and, and believed is going to lead to trouble uh, in, in your life. It's not going to be a good thing. And so we care about your life as a Christian, your sanctification. We care about the peace and purity of the church. Uh, and, and as elders, we also contend for the faith in, in our presbytery and in the meetings of General Synod, which are coming up in a couple of weeks. So pray for us. Um, uh, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, we have a, a good and godly heritage of contending for the faith. And sometimes <clears throat> we might forget that, but our history goes back to the Covenanters of Scotland, to the Seceders. Uh, uh, also uh, in Scotland. And these groups came over to the States and they uh, banded together and became the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. But think of the, the Covenanters. They upheld this truth that Jesus Christ alone is head of the church. At that time, the king was claiming to be the head of the church. And they said, no, no, Christ alone is head of the church. And, of course, some were saying, well, well just go along and get along, Right. Uh, you know, he won't do any harm to have to worship, you know, the, the, the way the, the Church of England does and, and, and just let the king be the king. <clears throat> I said, no, there's only one king of this church on earth, and that's Jesus. And so for their stand for truth, they were persecuted. They were literally hunted and hundreds were put to death. Thousands were imprisoned 
and impoverished. And so uh, for them to contend for the faith uh, meant real loss, real suffering. But they did it. And we have them to be thankful for that that's, that that's our heritage as the ARP church. But, you know, you can't just rely on heritage. You can learn from it. You can motivate us. But we today in the ARP church need to contend for the faith. <clears throat> Others in other denominations certainly need to contend for the faith, whether it's Southern Baptist, whether it's Presbyterian Church in America, uh, the the United Methodist Church. There's battles everywhere, and uh, we need men and women who are willing to fight, uh, willing to suffer if need be. Uh, And and certainly today uh, we we see an onslaught of uh, sexual immorality, Views on sexual perversion that are uh, tolerating uh, these kinds of things even into the church. And so we need to fight. Uh, Verse 4 of our text gives a reason why those early Christians needed to contend for the faith. And Jude said this, he said, because certain men have crept in unnoticed. Uh, they, you know, false teachers usually slip in without people really realizing. They don't fly their colors saying... I'm coming in with a different doctrine. Uh, listen to me. No, uh, they come in, they begin to develop friendships. They're, they're one of us. Uh, they, they pretend to be one of us. And then they gain the trust of church, a few church members, and then they begin to spread their poison amongst, amongst those that they befriend. And, and they may begin to question the things that the pastor teaches or or. In, They may engage in debates that belittle the doctrines that we hold to. And, of course, the problem of false teaching is usually an internal problem. Sometimes someone may start a cult, start a movement outside of the church. But even if they do it outside the church, they're usually relying on people who have been part of a church somewhere. But usually they start as parasites within the church. They can only feed on the host. And, of course, in the process, they um, destroy it, if it were possible. But Christ will not allow it, ultimately. He goes on to note that these teachers were long ago marked out for this condemnation. The King James says, of old, they were ordained to this condemnation. You can look at it two ways, that it was prophesied in the Bible... Uh, or that it was decreed by sovereign God. I think the decree of God is probably the idea here. Uh, in other words, God in his eternal counsel foreordained that uh, such men would come into the church and, 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 and bring their evil doctrines, but also that they were ordained to be punished for their wickedness. They were marked out, they were decreed, they were ordained to this condemnation. And uh, Matthew Poole comments that Jude, therefore, lets these saints know that though such men crept in unawares to them, yet it was not without the providence of God so ordering it. So even with the mess that we have with the false teaching and the teachers and the cults uh, of our day, uh, we can be confident that God is sovereign and in control of these things, and he will... um, He will deal with them in time, but in the meantime, you and I are called to deal with them by contending against them, contending for the truth. The Apostle Peter uh, said, There will be false teachers among you 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Uh, Jesus said, there's going to be false prophets uh, who come to you. They will come to you uh, as wolves in sheep's clothing. Again, they don't give their true appearance. Uh, They hide their crafty. It comes from the devil himself, of course. But Christ is sovereign. He will not allow these things to defeat his church. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But God uses men. He uses means. He, he uses us to stand firm and to hold the line. So knowing the fact that Jesus is going to build his church, he won't let it be destroyed. Knowing that does not make us slack and think, well, we don't have to fight. Jesus is going to fight for us. No, it gives us confidence in the fight uh, that as we contend for the faith, we're on the winning side. And one day, uh, those false teachers who do not repent will be cast into the eternal flames of hell. And these men who creep into the church... Jude says, are ungodly men. They are ungodly. What does that word mean? It means destitute of reverential awe of God. They had no respect. They had no awe. They had no reverence for the almighty God. So there's no fear of God. And no wonder they're so bold and brash to promote error, things that contradict the Bible, because they care nothing for God himself. They care nothing for the people of God, the sheep. They're willing to fleece the sheep uh, to take advantage of them because they don't care about them. And they, and they don't care about them because they don't care about God. And their ungodliness was manifested in two primary ways, in their behavior. And this is true of all false teachers. It's, it's their lifestyle and their teaching uh, that we look at and, and, and that... Or ungodly, and, and he says, first of all, they turn the grace of our God into lewdness or licentiousness, uh, to immorality. What these men did, and they're not the only ones who have done it. People do it today. They take the doctrine that we're saved by God's grace alone, saved by grace, so we can live however we please, because God's grace will will cover all that, right? Uh, of course, the Bible clearly, and in many places, refutes this error. The grace of God brings forgiveness. But Titus says, the grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. So grace has a twofold purpose. It it brings forgiveness and salvation and the gift of eternal life, but it also uh, teaches us to deny ungodliness. Well, they omitted that part. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, Jesus said this. He says, you'll know these false prophets, these false teachers by their fruits, by their behavior, as well as their teaching. And, and, and they often, why is it that false teachers often are embroiled in sexual immorality and they downplay the teaching uh, of the grace of God teaching us to deny those things? Well, secondly, they they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, They deny that Jesus is Lord, uh, that he is God. They may say it with their lips, but they deny it. They don't believe it. And, and, you know, most of the heresies in church history, uh, certainly in the early church, it was true. But true today, uh, because there's nothing new under the sun. And those two errors regard the doctrine of the Trinity 
and the person of Christ. And uh, some have, uh, have denied, for example, that Christ was truly human, that he was just appeared to be. It was just a phantom of some kind. Others have denied that he was truly divine, that he was only a man, and maybe he was a great man, but he wasn't God. Uh, others have uh, said that, that Christ was really two persons. He was a human person and a divine person, but that's not accurate either. We have to be very careful. And next week in Sunday school, we'll be looking at the, the doctrine of the person of Christ. But our catechism says that Christ is both God and man, Two distinct natures, but one person forever. And that's the correct understanding. And another way, of course, to deny Christ as, as Lord is simply to deny his right to rule over your life. Uh, the practical reality of living under Christ as Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's, that's a fact. And, and, and yet these ungodly men uh, denied both the fact and the reality of living under his lordship, all the while professing uh, that they believed in, in Jesus. Well, just because someone says they believe in Jesus, you want to ask some questions. What do you mean by that? Who is Jesus Christ? Uh, what do you believe about him? Uh, the beauty of grace, as I said, is, is that we're first of all forgiven of all our sins. We're saved by his grace. Secondly, that we are taught by that grace to deny ungodliness, to repent of sin, to grow in that sanctifying grace. But thirdly, we, another thing that grace does, it delivers us from the traditions and commandments and rules of men. And that is, through Christ, we experience Christian liberty. Uh, there's a certain amount of liberty in areas that the Scripture does not address we can infer that certain areas, uh, there's liberty to do or to not do uh, and certain things in life. But, that the scripture, but we cannot use that liberty to um, excuse our sin. We cannot, uh, you know, see, God's grace is abused if we say, I'm free in Christ. I'm free to sin. No, you're not. <laughs> you're free from sin. Uh, from its penalty, you're being saved uh, and, and being freed from its power, and you're free from the commandments of men. But you're never free to sin. And Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. Your liberty is you're set free so that you can serve God. And keep his commandments. Well, false teachers are everywhere today. Uh, you don't have to look very far. Uh, false teachings made its way into seminaries, into churches, denominations. It's made its way into the mission field. Missionaries, as well as churches, have have taught things like, "Well, we don't need to worry about doctrine. Let's don't you don't go into doctrine. There's too many people that need to be saved. We just need to go get more people saved and not worry about doctrine." But we need to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. But you know, if we don't contend for the gospel, it's not going to be any gospel to preach. Amen. Preach and contend. Preach, evangelize, and apologize. What I mean is defend the faith. Be an apologist. We wonder why our nation's 
And our world is in such a mess. Why is such chaos? How has morality descended into the abyss so quickly, so fast? Well, I think that the problem can be traced to a church that at some point in our nation's history in particular has compromised the faith instead of contended for the faith. It seems the loving thing to do. You know, and, and why is it that someone's child comes out as gay and all of a sudden that person didn't believe that homosexuality was, I mean, they, they, they believed it was wrong, but suddenly their child becomes uh, practicing homosexual or lesbian and, and then that person says, well, you know, I think in love, you know, I, I can accept that and it's okay. No, no, no. I don't care if your beloved baby child grows up that you love so much and that person's a homosexual that person is in sin they need to repent and the mercy of God is there for them of course the grace and forgiveness of God is available to all of us who repent but you see these are the things where we compromise instead of contend and we wonder why the world is in such a mess as the church goes so goes the culture the church is the only thing standing against the, you know, the, the thumb and the hole in the dam, as it were, from the, from the dam busting and going wide open. But it seems like it's kind of busted right now in the culture. That means there's something busted, something wrong in the church. We're not contending as we need to be. The church is said in Scripture to be the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. And so when the church stands on the truth, when the church contends for the truth, when the church and the people live the truth as best they can, we read Psalm 26, it sounds kind of arrogant to say, I, I have gone about, you know, uh, and, and I've lived according to your commandments. Well, no one can say that perfectly, but there's a commitment there, a resolution to do that that we need. When the church does these things, it acts as a restraint on society. So we need to turn back and look at ourselves. When the church compromises its doctrine and, and believers live uh, you know, questionable lifestyles, we shouldn't be surprised that the world will follow in spades and go further than we could ever imagine. Will you stand for truth? Will you contend for the truth once and for all, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints? As we continue our study of Jude, hopefully we will learn better uh, how to do that. Let's pray.